from Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. We call it disenfranchised grief. It's a grief without a way to observe it. And so uh, I encourage people to talk about it and, and feel it and go through it so that they can come out the other side at some point. Today on episode 12 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Ken Gorfinkel. Ken went from being an employee in a big institution to owning a private professional practice. In addition to being a top therapist in his field, Ken is one of the smartest people I know. You want to listen closely to this episode as Ken not only shares his own experiences making his transition, but offers some important tips for dealing with the trauma of job loss. You can find out more about Ken and all of our episodes at smashingtheplateau.com slash going solo. If you are building your own business after a late career job loss, let's talk. Go to our website at smashingtheplateau.com and click on Schedule Time with David to speak with me. Now, before we jump into this incredibly important topic with Ken, I'd like to talk about CASSource. If you're creating content that gives real value, ideas, information, a story, a gift, or entertainment, and you want to build connections with your audience, call the marketing team at CASSource. They'll help you with the creative and the execution of the creative. Learn more by visiting cascm.com. Now let's welcome Ken Gorfinkel. Ken is a clinical psychologist with over 40 years of experience caring for adults and children with chronic medical illness, mood, and anxiety disorders. With his wife, Doris Ullendorf, he owns Common Sense Therapy, a unique private psychotherapy practice in New York. After over 25 years working at the bedside of people receiving in-hospital care for cancer, organ transplant, diabetes, congenital birth defects, and chronic pain conditions, Ken continues to provide care and support for those with ongoing needs after acute care is in the past. Ken and Doris have developed a broad referral network of psychiatric and medical providers in the New York metropolitan area, clinicians with whom they enjoy a collaborative treatment approach. Ken, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Thanks, David. I'm glad to be here. So, Ken, I know that in addition to your work as a uh, clinical psychologist, you also have your own personal experience going from employment to entrepreneurship, uh, leaving an institution, and then trying to, to launch and build a, a private practice. So I wonder if we could start by talking a little bit about your experience. Yeah, I'm glad to do that. It really goes back to uh, around the time of 9-11, when I was uh, faced with having to decide how to keep my medical health benefits, which is always a big deal when you're leaving a, a full-time business or, or institution and going out on one's own. Uh, I was given the option of continuing to work at New York Presbyterian Hospital as a full-time researcher and as an academic uh, versus going down to halftime and becoming a hospital employee and losing my some of my health benefits and most importantly, losing the academic tuition remission for my three children had I stayed, I would have been able to get free college tuition for the three of them. So it felt like a huge step and a huge step over a cliff 
financially to, to be taking this step. And the reason I did it is because I felt it was more in line with what I wanted to do with my life and my career, which is to treat patients and not to do research. Yeah, it sounds really scary. It, it was. And I've talked to many people on Smashing the Plateau, as well as people in audience and clients who have gone through similar transitions. I myself went through a transition from employment to entrepreneurship at a point where expenses were high and, uh, and yes, facing the loss of those um, what seem like great fringe benefits can be quite daunting. Right. So I started doing the numbers and, and started looking at uh, how I could earn enough money to make up the difference. And I was lucky enough to be able to go on part-time at the hospital, keep that security and have some health benefits and start a small private practice with my wife, Doris. And sort of it was a, a way to test drive being out on my own for about 10 years until I began to uh, see the writing on the wall in the institution and realize I was not going to be able to stay employed forever. They were going to push me out because I cost too much or I was getting older for whatever reason. And I finally made the leap, uh, you know, somewhere around, oh, I want to say 10 years ago into full-time private practice. And at that point, you know, Doris and I had to really kind of ramp up our understanding of common sense therapy as a, as a business, not just as a, uh, a medical or, or a psychological service. Right. So, so in hindsight, you had the, the benefit of jumping into entrepreneurship in two stages. That's right. Right. Where you could go a little more slowly than many people, especially those that get pushed out from, from employment. That's right. I, I did worry about a couple of things. You know, one, would I be able to earn enough money to make up the difference? And uh, spoiler alert, I did. The second one was I was concerned about loss of colleague contacts. I really loved working in the institution elbow to elbow with hundreds, dozens of colleagues with whom I, I shared the work, other psychologists and medical providers, nurses. And uh, it's a very different world than being in a private office, you know, with seeing one patient at a time. Yeah. So what, how did you deal with that? Well, what I benefited from in, in cutting the cord was having more control over my time. I really found it dehumanizing to punch in and punch out at the institution. I literally had to palm in and palm out with my fingerprint every day. I felt like I was being monitored and tracked for how many patients I was seeing and getting reimbursed for. And being able to be out on my own, it enabled me to control my own time, how long I took for lunch. And in fact, I started taking the initiative and planning to have lunch with some of those colleagues with whom I didn't have much time for while I was in the institution. So I, I turned a, a bad thing into a good thing. Right. So you, you figured out how to make it work and make it work in a way where you had control over your time. Exactly. I, I made a decision, you know, to, uh, I wasn't sure, for example, um, for people not familiar with psychotherapy practice, if I could fill my days, I was afraid I'd have to only work evenings and weekends. And I succeeded fairly quickly in not working at all on weekends and not every day in the evening, maybe three evenings a week, uh, and eventually not at all on uh, on Fridays. So I, I have a busy four-day-a-week practice now with, with three or three-and-a-half evenings. So as you get more successful and more 
competent at getting referrals and controlling your time, you can you can you know fill a practice in the daytime just as well as the evening. Well, congratulations on building something very successful, and it's really an example to to others who are going, th- particularly those that are going through an involuntary transition from employment to entrepreneurship. And I wonder if we could talk a little bit about what you've seen as a therapist with people who go through a a transition where they're suddenly unemployed, particularly those folks who may be highly talented and have been employees for 20 to 30 years. So it could come as quite a shock that they walk in the office one day thinking they're going to their desk as they have for years. And instead of going to their desk, they're escorted out the door. Yes, I have uh, had the misfortune of of helping shepherd through a number of people through that transition in life. And boy, is it traumatic for people. It puts people at risk for serious depression, as you might imagine. And you might also imagine that, you know, there's a lot of financial uncertainty around that, around that step. And one of the things that comes up is what are the person's legal rights to severance pay and continued uh, benefits after they've been terminated? And very often the legal fight takes over for a while, just as it does sort sort of in a, in an acrimonious divorce, where they're so busy fighting the legal fight they forget to think about the sadness and the separation and the loss of identity. Do you think that one can deal with the the loss of identity and and the feelings that come around a separation while dealing with legal issues and the financial repercussions and everything else? Or is it better to take things in sequence? Well, that's a good question. Everybody's different. You know, the, some of the people who were able to stay in therapy with me, and I, I was certainly very willing to cut my fee for those people in sensitivity to their loss of income or fear of loss of income. Those who could stay in treatment, I I strongly encouraged them to pay attention to the loss, not just to the fight. And one obvious way to do that is to make sure to have a chance and a way to say goodbye to the fellow employees who mattered to them. There may be some anger and sadness uh, and resentment towards some, but usually not all. And two of the people I'm thinking of uh, came from large organizations with hundreds of employees, and they had many very warm and, and strong, supportive contacts there. And oftentimes, uh, with especially the economy doing what it, it does at times, where there's downsizing across whole industries, there are other colleagues who are going through the same thing. And so I've encouraged them to talk to one another, go out to lunch or dinner and uh, and support one another. Yeah. Are there, in addition to spending time saying goodbye to people with whom you do have a good relationship and spending time in discussion with peers who may be going through a similar process, are there some basic basic things that you think would be helpful for people to know about the fear of what they're facing, fear of the change they're going through, the loss of identity, shame, or other kinds of emotional reactions to sudden job loss, particularly for somebody who's in the second half of her or his career? Yeah, I think that one of the most important things to remember and things that we work on in therapy is to realize that 
the very strong and deep emotional reaction that one has to that kind of loss is normal. It's there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, the system or, or your employer has failed you in a certain way. It's not quite the same as a death, but it is indeed a loss. And we are sad when we have losses. And because it's not a death, it's not uh, something that we're socially expected to grieve for like we would if, if we lost a loved one. It's, it's, we call it disenfranchised grief. It's a, a grief without a way to observe it. And so uh, I encourage people to talk about it and, and feel it and go through it so that they can come out the other side at some point. And only through that grief, and maybe that includes getting angry and resentful as, as part of a temporary process, can they begin to start uh, a later stage, which is to plan what to do uh, with the next stage. And by the way, a number of the people who I've met with who've gone through this were already consciously or unconsciously planning for the next stage, even before they were separated from their companies. Yeah. What, what I often see is that for people who are in the second half of their career, they often have been thinking about, well, what would the next step be like? What would I really like to do? Especially if they're feeling like, like you mentioned in your case, you were feeling a little constrained by the structure of the organization that you work for. So very yeah. often people, when, they're, when they've been employees for 20 plus years, they feel constrained by certain things. They may not necessarily like all of the projects that they're working on, or they may not feel like they re really are happy about s serving all the clients that their, their employer serves. They may not like certain things about the working hours and the location. Um, there was a, an example I, was, I came across recently of someone who was in a, a fairly high-powered job who was getting sent on assignments to other locations that had to travel quite a bit, often at very inconvenient times, and really got tired of doing that. Didn't want to always jump to go to a new location every time the company said, you know, you have to travel to Los Angeles or Phoenix or New York or Miami um, right. or, or other countries. So, yeah, so sometimes people are, are really thinking about it and would prefer to be entrepreneurs, yet they they believe that the that the paycheck and the benefits are providing a level of security that they're not going to be able to match if they become an entrepreneur. So there's a lot of fear in making the change. And then when they when they do get terminated, they look at it as an opportunity, they jump they jump forward and they're really motivated to try to make running a business work. On the other hand, I also see people who don't think about it and what they would rather do is just get another job. And many times, particularly for people who are past a certain age, it's really difficult to find another job doing something similar to what they were doing before. That's right. That, and I've seen both uh, approaches. They, the ones who try to get another job do face a certain amount of ageism and the financial reality that companies can hire younger, less experienced workers for, for less money. And the gig, given the gig economy that we're in, uh, I see a lot of people going out and becoming freelance consultants in their field. And to do that, they need to go through a process of self-assessment and kind of figuring out what are my skills and what 
have I acquired as I've become achieved seniority in my field that makes me special, that gives me some special skills and abilities that would become marketable. And they may not ever have really looked at that until they had to. Mm -hmm. And what have you seen work really well for somebody that needs to do that, wants to do it? They're feeling this grief because of the loss. They're feeling anger. And they may not feel very good about themselves as, as they're trying to figure out how to actually launch a freelance or a consulting business. Right. So one of my clients was actually given uh, six months of, of professional support in making that transition when her company was downsized slash right-sizing and being bought out by another company. So she actually was given help networking with people in the field that wouldn't breach her non-compete clause in her, in her severance. A lot of people have a non-compete clause that gets in the way of their being able to do consulting in their own field. And she was given help specifically in kind of naming what her skills were. And she she was introduced to the art of networking, which is something that some people love to do and some people have no idea how to even begin. Yeah, particularly for people going from employment to entrepreneurship. They may not have a, they either may have never done business networking or they may have a network of professional colleagues, all of whom are employees and are not in a position to refer business to them or to collaborate on uh, pursuing business opportunities. So they need to develop a whole new network among, in the entrepreneurial world. Right, and one of the barriers to that uh, that's associated with the times we live with, live in, and, and their age is that some of them are not as tech savvy as their younger counterparts, and some of them, when they've been separated from their companies, don't yet have a LinkedIn page. Some of them don't even know what a LinkedIn page is, and so they have to be shepherded through and helped to build that. And once they do, they're actually pretty well rewarded by it because they see pretty quickly how easy it is to make connections on a wider sphere than just calling a few people that you know. Right. So Ken, for somebody who may be approaching you on their first day of unemployment, are there a set of guidelines that you would offer them to think about that would deal with the trauma they're going through and also some practical tips about how they can get back on their feet and start bringing in income as quickly as possible? Yes, I think there are a number of things I would strongly encourage. Uh, although, again, there's no one right way to do this. Mm -hmm. Many people really are exhausted and, and burnt out at this point and need to take a little time off, even though they're afraid to step away from the work for fear that they'll not be able to go back to it. But it, it, a few weeks, even a month, is sometimes a very valuable break for many people to just breathe and take in what's happened and to really think and reflect about what it means for the next step. And that relates to the second thing, which is to start thinking about and developing what you want to say. It's, it's sort of your pre-elevator speech, elevator speech, before you have a next step of who am I now that I don't work for so-and-so company incorporated, you know, a lot of people, and, and I think there's a gender aspect to this, you know, particularly men, they want to say that, you know, I'm a lawyer working for such and such a firm, or I'm a doctor who works in such and such a hospital. 
you need to be able to come to a, a comfort level on saying who you are and what you are in a way that speaks well for yourself, that you can do it without coughing and choking over your words. And once you become more confident with that, it's easier to go back out into the world. And it's also kind of a a test or, or uh, a part of the way through the, the therapeutic process of dealing with the loss. Uh, the third thing would be to work on openness. You know, if people don't really look down on you when you've been terminated from your company, anywhere near as much as you look down on yourself. And people who want to keep it a secret, who are ashamed, particularly don't want to tell members of their extended family. Some people don't even tell their own children. Uh, they really suffer from that. And being open gives you a chance to express your emotions, get support, get comfort, and then eventually get support. If you put the word out that you're in that situation, a lot of people are going to step forward that you never knew were there. So those are the top things that I would think of right away. That sounds great. Are there any any top resources that you think are good for people going through this? Well, aside from finding a good individual therapist, a lot of large companies have outplacement departments that are given the task of helping people make that transition. Some of the smaller companies don't have that resource. But when I have seen uh, clients of mine use that, they've usually derived a good benefit from them because they do things like work on resumes and work on interview skills and techniques of, of networking. And uh, some people really are rusty in that department. And many people, as I said before, don't have the tech savvy to put those things into operation. Yeah. Ken, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think is important to touch on? Yeah, one general thing, you know, this goes back to my own experience. You know, when you work for big institutions, you have to buy into their way of, of seeing the world and their, their value systems. And going out on your own gives you a chance to reevaluate one's own values, what you believe in and what really matters to you. And when you go out on your own, you have a chance to act on those values and, and do the kind of work that not only is going to pay the rent, but also that's in some way more meaningful to you or more socially conscious or more politically aware, whatever matters in your particular part of life, uh, or perhaps that allows you more time with your family. This is a real time to evaluate who you are and what, and what matters. Yeah. Well said. Ken, if someone wants to go deeper with anything you've shared today, learn more, access any resources you may have, or get in touch with you, where would they go? They can go to my website. That's www.commonsensetherapy.com. Sounds great. Well, Ken, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and share your insights, your perspective, and your experience my guest today has been clinical psychologist Ken Gorfinkel. Thank you again, Ken, for joining us. And it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, David. When you visit the Going Solo website at smashingtheplateau.com slash going solo, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how to deal with the trauma of job loss and much more. If you're building your own business after a late career job loss, let's talk. Go to our website at smashingtheplateau.com 
and click on Schedule Time with David to speak with me. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them learn how to build a successful business after a late career job loss. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Going Solo to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.